ESPN 102.3, The Ticket FM. This is the walkthrough spring football special, and we are not canceled. Rain or shine, it's going down today for the next hour. We're going to get you caught up on West Virginia football. The I got my raincoat on. Oh, that's good, just in case. We're going to do West Virginia football with Mike Casazza of 24-7. We're going to do the NFL draft with Justice Mosqueda of the Setting the Edge podcast. And as a special treat for anyone who suffered through the post-game disaster in D.C. last year. We got Will Webb of the Charlotte Sports Foundation representing the Belk College Football Kickoff. He's going to be our captain, our navigator yes. mm-hmm. through the city He's of Charlotte. He's going to tell us where to eat, where Nation. to sleep, where to get tickets. And also, Matt, this is exciting. You know, this is this is exciting. We have exclusive kickoff time information coming up here. It's a, it's a prospect, right? Well, let it's him, not... Well, let's, Let's, let, let's let Will deliver the news. You know, we don't need to, you know. All right, all right, you know, I'm just saying, right, we got I'm we got saying. information on the kickoff time that's com- uh, coming your way. All right, so keep an ear you out for that. You don't want to forecast a blizzard and then have sunshine. Right. Yeah, that's certainly true, although people would be excited for that. You can make a lot of friends doing right. that. You're right. 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 Said in the other way. I got that backwards. Right. So, anyway, that. fun show. This is always a fun show. We do this every year. This is, what, year three or four? Um, always You're enjoy. four, Jeff. Yeah, awesome. Beginning of it. Um... The, uh, it was a bummer to have no spring game. Lots of stuff uh, to be excited about seeing, but alas, no game. But we can still talk football. Um, so like I said, stick around. We're going to get this intro out here out of the way because, like I said, we got lots of interesting people to talk to. So come back. Mike Casazza will be here, and we'll break down West Virginia football. ESPN 102.3, The Ticket FM. This is the walkthrough spring football special. He's kind of green seas. Now she headed east down the boulevard. Duval. Sure. Said I like the way. Said I like the way. Share your ship now. At First Community Bank, we believe everyone deserves free checking with no fees or minimum balance. We believe in saying thank you, so we'll deposit $10 in your new account and pay you up to $10 for your old debit cards and checks. We'll even print your new debit card on the spot. At First Community Bank, we believe in offering all the money-saving services you need with the attention only a community bank can provide. Drop by or visit us online at firstcommunitybank.com. All promotions are subject to change or cancellation. $25 opening balance required. Member FDIC. ESPN 102.3, The Ticket FM. This is the walkthrough spring football special. So happy to be joined by the best in the business, Mike Casaza. Mike, what's going on? I'm better now after that introduction. Yes. Yeah, well, we always like to uh, roll out the red carpet for you, Mike. Um, obviously, uh, our show and your work has a long history that all 12 of our listeners know very well. So we don't need to get into that again, but really we appreciate everything you've done uh, for our show. Do I get intro music? Like yeah. WrestleMania? Is that, yeah, absolutely. What do you want? What do you want? Mac, Mac can oh, add it in boy. We'll rework that, it. That might be part of my rider. My next <laughs> okay, deal. Deal, absolutely. Um, all right, so, Mike, it has been a uh, uh, an up-and-down spring, to say the least. One could say, Mike, that people are most definitely waiting for the fall, but I'm available in uh, your local bookstore. Um, so it started off uh, not going great. There was a lot of attrition um, 
transfers out. Chris Chuganov, Adam Schuler caught some people off guard. Um, and then obviously Lamont McDougall, among others. So when you have a program that generally seems to have a, a good vibe around it, people seem to have fun around Dana. There's a lot of guys who come back. Uh, David Sills, Jake Spavadolf, whatever. Uh, point is that, you know, it seems to be a happy place. Um, but then you have off seasons like this where, you know, nearly a dozen or more guys are, are, are leaving the program. Not all of them are contributors, though. What, what does that tell you about the state of the program? Is it possible that it can be read into too much or does it actually tell us something? I think you said something that's probably pretty important. It can be read into too much. I think that West Virginia creates some of the attention by limiting access and by not talking about certain things mm-hmm. um, so much. And, you know, this is, this is kind of a causal relationship with media, but when we find out players are leaving and we report it and no one else reports it, and I don't mean me where I work, but I mean it doesn't come from the university or anything, it looks strange. And when you see a dozen of those instances and nobody from the team side talking about it, um, people have unanswered questions. And that's just the nature of fans. What's going on? Uh, Mm -hmm. He was a good player. Why is he leaving? Uh, He was a good recruit. We thought he'd be better. And you can't have much context to those conversations when there isn't a conversation. And I think there's been so many of those that, um, you know, combined with the quantity and everything absent context, it looks bad. I think when you, you step back and you have a thousand yard look at it, um, you see 14 players and let's be honest, two contributors. Right. Yes. Um, now look, any I team, don't think that's you, too you, bad. And well, I'm glad you said this too. They brought back Greer. They brought back Sills. They brought back Kajus. They brought back Jennings and guys who thought about it or could have been encouraged to go to the NFL, mm-hmm. you right. know, lost, one assistant coach, am I wrong there? And no, just the one. Right? Got a just pretty good one in return. So mm-hmm. I think people want to talk about change and transactions. I think there's plenty more to talk about this team. The truth is, West Virginia and, and very few college teams, but especially West Virginia, win with 85 players. Right. Yeah. So what's West Virginia's 55 look like? That's what's more important. And they're 55, not great, but pretty good. Well, let's talk about that 55 then, because there's plenty to be excited about. Um, <coughs> before we get to the, um, the, the, the mainstays, there's, uh, and there is uh, talent coming in, and one of the ways that it's coming into the program is th- through the grad transfer program, something the Mountaineers have had success with under Dana, so a, a, uh, a market they continue to exploit to the best of their abilities, uh, Larry Bigelow being the latest, but a, a couple more on the horizon. Uh, what is it about their approach to that marketplace that allows them to have success? Are they doing it differently than other schools, or is there something they can offer? I mean, well, playing time, right? That helps. But is there something that they're doing differently that's that's leading to these uh, these big gets? You know, they got a good reputation. That helps. Um, I think what's important, too, is they've gone to positions where um, you find good recruits, but you find there's not a lot of playing time. Um, you know, there's there's one running back, for example, um, Charles Sims. You know, you right. only have one quarterback. Yep. Here comes Clint Trick. Um, corner and defensive line are places that are really hard to recruit. Um, so West Virginia's kind of gone to a secondary market to get good players. Right. Um, yeah. StubHub, if and, you will. <laughs> Yeah, really, it is. But it's kind of like that. But it's it's kind of like 
trading deadlines in right. baseball and basketball. Yep. You acquire one guy for the stretch run, and you know if he saves twelve games, if he scores yeah. twelve points a game for you, yep. hey, that's good. And then he's gone because he's a free agent, and you're not going to bring him back, and you're better for it. I don't think you want to be doing that consistently because it's an if-then relationship. So the the then part of that is then you go get grad transfers. That the if part of that is if you're losing players or if you're consistently needing talent. Um, that's bad. Right. It's a bad starting point no matter how you solve it. Say, it's kind of fun to say, hey, West Virginia has a really good track record of recruiting grad transfer cornerbacks. That's good. The other part of that is yes. they don't have a very uh, good history or a track record of recruiting right. You know, at the grassroots level. It reminds me of Matt, my, my co-host here, Matt. Matt has a great track record of bouncing back from getting fired from his jobs. He always is able to find a new job after getting fired from his last job. It's very very similar uh, a, a gift and curse, I think you're talking about. There. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, actually. Never been fired. Um, so talk about Bigelow. Is he someone that – I mean, they haven't really even – probably gotten a chance to see him yet um but you know his story is is different he's missed two years flirted with retirement do you think that they he's someone they're counting on or is he a body similar to like a jabril robinson someone they haven't gotten yet but are but are hoping to get when they're plugging these holes through the transfer market what's the expectation are they looking to get playing time or do they think they can find stars there and maybe do they think they found one in bigla i think this is how um how you want to look at it. It's kind of a Rorschach test, an ink blot test. Um, you know, we fold the paper in half and you tell me what you see. Right, right. Um, I see a position that isn't as bad as it was two weeks ago because they got a guy who was a five-star, a top 10 recruit. Right. Um, but he is not a top 10 recruit. He's not a five-star player. Um, so you have to calibrate what you think here. And this is a guy who's got probably a 15, 20 play ceiling. Okay. What can he do? Can right. he be great in short bursts? That's important. Um, are you really looking at him to go dominate centers for entire quarters or entire halves? I don't think so. I think that's unreasonable. Um, here's my dog. Ah, it's a good dog. Good dog. We're a dog friendly show. Um, yeah, we are very, very pet friendly. Um, I think what's good about that is that that position isn't stats based. You really need someone who can go in there and maul. And right. if you roll three guys in, you know, if it stills. If it's Bigelow and if it's Brandon Thrift, hey, that's pretty good. You can find your way to 80 snaps that way. Uh, he just plays a small fraction of it. Um, well, you touched on something there. Is the that tools were there? I think it's probably fair to say they are not as good as advertised, or right. maybe as they were. Knee surgeries do that. The game beats on you for five years. You know that's tough. Can he get into shape? Can he be physical? Can he throw guys around? Sure, maybe that's what they're going to look at, but. To say that they have something right now, I don't think they'd even tell you that they know right now. Is that, uh, you know, you talked about the system there and what these guys are responsible for, these space eaters. How much of that <coughs> is what led, do you, do you know, is what led to the exit of Lamont McDougal? And is that something that Mountaineer fans can start to be concerned about? Not that they ever were piling up on defensive linemen, but, you know, you've got Schuler leaving, you've got Lamont McDougal out after one year looking for better opportunities. Um, I'm the, recruiting the three three five has always got to be difficult or unique. Is this going to uh, make it even harder, probably, for the, to get some of these out of high school guys? I think there's a good point to be made about that defensive line thing. You're not going to catapult to the NFL with it, right? Um, you know, Darian Howard was a pretty great recruit, and he came in. He played four years. His last year is very productive. Um, his, his senior season was as good as it gets in this scheme. Absolutely, uh, he he killed at the combine. 
and then he was an undrafted free agent. So right. that's probably pretty close to the ceiling unless you're a guy. Right. And yeah. it's going to be hard for West Virginia to get that guy because everybody wants him that runs a 3-4 or 4-3 or 3-3-5. Three, three, um, yep. They're going to have to do something to combat that reputation. And I don't know how they do that. Uh, because reality is pretty powerful. <laughs> and the truth is that like those stats and that, re- that track record doesn't lie. Um, I think it's unusual what happens with Nick Google, though. Um, I don't think anybody thought he was going to be that good last year. And he had a very good year. And I think he sees potential in himself that maybe we'll discover not everybody agrees in. You're talking about right. a five foot ten defensive end, um, excuse me, defensive tackle, nose guard. Um, we'll see what happens, but um, they had one. They got away. That's not great. I think to, to project that he would have been an All American in four years is uh, pretty fanciful thinking. But right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, that's kind of what fans do. But they, you're right. They have to. They have to combat that notion that you can't go pro, you can't rack up big stats. Do you think that allows, do you foresee in the future for Gibson to maybe make some adjustments, especially if, they have, if they're thinned out at linebacker, if, if some of these linebackers don't heal or show <laughs> up, you know, the new ones show up the way we would hope. Do you see any flexibility in, in Gibson's system? Could he maybe start running some four-two-five packages or just abandon the, the three-man front altogether? No. <laughs> uh, yeah. okay. He's a three three five. Yeah, that's yeah. his defense. Yeah. The, I would like to see it would him run take a, a, it would take a coaching change. Now I think what you might see is perhaps more I don't know how to even describe this, but like more nickel based. And maybe you put that that nimble defensive end who happens to be really big at nose. And that's that's kinda what Darius Stills is. Right, yeah, I was gonna say um, that's 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 they they seem to be pretty excited about him. Um and you know that could be coach speak. That could be forcing something. But yeah, that that uh, there is a lot of positive buzz coming out about him being mobile at that spot. Yeah, I mean he was a guy last year that when he played, played in pass packages, and now he's going to be your every down guy. I don't think he's totally changed his stripes in one off season. I think they've kind of found something that that can work. They think, but you know the the key to the defense is controlling those gaps between the tackles and the guards and the guards in the center. Um, and a lot of that depends on, you know, you got to be earth movers at the end of the guard positions on the defensive line. And, you know, sometimes that means you see the ball, don't go get it, let somebody else go get it. And that, that's hard for a lot of guys to do. They need to find the next Vince Wilfork. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and get him to come to, uh, to West Virginia. Not right. a problem. Not mm-hmm. a problem. All right, let's go over to the other side of the ball. Um, Obviously, the the headliner is Will Greer and David Sills, and we'll talk about them. But Matt and I are particular fans of two guys that you know. It, it, it seemed up until last at the end of last year when Yadney announced that he was coming back. That was the first time I started to see guys, even Lance Zerline. I don't know if everyone knows who Lance Zerline is, but when he's talking about offensive linemen, you listen, and he had some really nice things to say and to share things he heard about Yadney. But anyway, this has to be. One of the the best in my lifetime. This is the best returning set of tackles the Mountaineers have had. Right? They've, there's got to be a great sense of uh, what is it? What's the relief or something knowing that they have Colton McKibbitts and Yadni Kajust at the bookends of the offensive line? Yeah, that helps. Because um, Juice is just a really good athlete. Man, oh like, man. He's, he's a he's a really good athlete. I think he could play other sports. You know, 
maybe not for money, but not <laughs> right. embarrass himself. You right. know, he's he's agile and on that edge, that's pretty good. I mean, we've been talking about him as a pro's prospect for really since his redshirt freshman year, and yeah, I thought he got better towards the end of the season last year, and, and maybe that takes you know, takes some time to get everything back together. Um, he's good. McKibbitz is, I think, a little bit different. He's not quite as athletic, but uh, he's he would surprise you. And again, that's another basketball player um, on the edge there who's going to be able to to strafe left and right and also be able to move people forward. So that's good. I think what's what's probably interesting is they might have figured out their guards and. I don't know that that's been talked about. Yeah, let's hear about it. I'm Never assuming Sills is... S- I, mean, S- I, I, I didn't hear anybody complimented as much, um, you know, outside of the usual suspects, of course, Sills right. and Jennings and Greer. And, um, and Josh Sills. I, I think he's for sure a starting guard, a left guard now, and um, Isaiah Hardy's a big dude, a right guard. Right. Um, yep. mm-hmm. So you're talking... A pair of six 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 seven tackles, and then a pair of six five six six guards, who are all going to be at and above three hundred pounds. To you know, I don't know what Hardy's real number is, but he looks to be at least three twenty five, three thirty. Um, that's Jeez. big, man. Yeah, uh, sure that, is. That's stuff that they struggle with. They got beat up at times last year. They weren't big. They weren't physical. These are all guys who learned that the hard way and applied that in the off season. And you know, that's size, that's height, that's weight. I think that can be pretty good and. You know, their interior play last year was was weak at times, and that's why they didn't run the ball nearly as well. They did so much stuff in between the tackles in the past, um, and they didn't do that last year, and then it became easy to solve their running game because you knew it was going inside out. That should change this year because I think, you know, the two tackles, yeah, but I think guard center guards will be pretty good. Better than people think, I think, right now. Yeah, it's, uh, Sills is another guy we've enjoyed watching since he uh, started playing. He seems to be a really good young player, still has a bright future ahead of him. Obviously, Matt Jones, you're going to want to see uh, a step forward from him, but you can expect one, too. Well coached. and uh, True yeah. freshman last year, right? Uh, sophomore, I think. I would, uh, okay. yeah. I would watch out for Pucha Grassi, too, a guard. Oh, you, if if I, one of them isn't playing center, he's probably going to be a backup guard. Okay. Too. I, don't, I wouldn't count him out of it just yet. Yeah, and I wanted to point out Wickline too. They got a they got a pretty nice swing tackle there too. In the at, at times when they needed, so they're certainly happy they were able to get Hardy uh, on the field last year in, in spots, get him some experience because it sounds like if things shake out the way you expect, then he'll be uh, he'll be a, a starter along that offensive line that I agree does seem to be uh, improved. <clears throat> and again, I just love watching McKivitz and and Yadney play. But that brings us to who they're protecting, of course, the. Uh, the man everyone is looking forward to see. Everyone's waiting for the fall for a reason, and that's for Will Greer. Um, how much of a of a burden is it for a coach, for a program, to have the best quarterback in their conference? That kind of does start your expectations at a very high level. In 2010 in football, whether it's college or pros, if you have the best quarterback, you are generally expected to win. And obviously, Kyler Murray was a five-star guy. He's got he's going to have his opinions. I'm sure someone else will, will pop up. But heading into the season, Will Greer is almost definitely the lead dog in terms of Big 12 quarterback play. How much do you think that puts uh, the onus on the Mountaineers to really finally make a run at the Big 12 title? I just want to point out what Kyler Murray is doing right now. Um, oh, right. Yeah, go. Go. Look at his, go look at his baseball stats. It's unbelievable. Yes. Yep. Yep. Like, okay, Trey Lowe's a cool story because he's practicing with the team. And this week starts, and he's <laughs> yeah. going to be the starting quarterback for the Heisman Trophy winning offense next year. That's pretty right. wild. He's yes. right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think, I, I think the burden is, is immense. And I think that what we think 
not necessarily no, but we think about the defense probably heightened things. Um, I don't know what the comparison is. I might even sit down and look at it, but like I have a ton of people ask me about 2012, which is the last right. time that Westbrook yep. came back with a loaded offense and you know pre pretty big dreams, pretty big goals. Absolutely, after um, the Texas like game, on one side of the ball. After the Texas so, game, you felt like West Virginia football was there. Top Maybe Holgerson has learned that a little bit. What do you do? How do you control that? How do you cool your quarterback off? I think um, personality-wise, Greer is totally different than um, than Gino was. Gino, right? Yep. And I don't mean that as a bad thing against Gino, but like I think Greer is a little bit cooler, a little bit calmer, and stuff like that. Um, I think he can rally. I'm not the sure team the skills are better, yeah. whatever. But he has even a better supporting cast. That'd be interesting to look at. But yeah, sure. Um, the yep. fact that we're talking about this going how much pressure is on this guy with this side of the ball this year. I think that answers the question itself. It's impossible to ignore that. That's something really to keep an eye on. Is do you is there like a pass fail grade you think on this team when you're in when you're in this position? I mean programs put a lot of effort into getting into this position, having the um elite quarterback, having weapons around them, having guys that can protect them. Um you know, there's been a couple times in Dana's career where there was a number it felt like he had to get to. Um, is it Big 12 title game or bust for these guys? Bust is tough. We don't know. It's hard It's hard for me to sit here and say they got to get to a certain point because I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, how many players are going to leave or get hurt <laughs> right, or yeah. break their pinkies or whatever, you know? Um, that's hard to do. I think if they stay healthy and they just have, you know, natural progression – 10 is a very interesting number for me, um, including a bowl game, or maybe nine and a half is an interesting number for me with a bowl game. Would that be enough? Um, I don't know. I mean, I've had I've had people who know these things give me two totally different reads on Oklahoma. You know, best team in the conference, too, they're yeah. going to win seven games. Right. Um, yeah. And I've had similar things from teams like TCU where they could be great or they could have trouble. Um, so it's it's one of those things that I don't think we know right now, but – you you work really hard. You spend a lot of time to get one year like this. Um, you right, like your yeah. house to be in order, and, and maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But I think a lot of what happens next is most important. He's really got to get himself together with some of the second-line receivers. They can't go through 12 or 13 games playing four receivers. Um, that'll be tough. They really need those five offensive linemen and maybe three more to to settle in. Like, guys are going to have to be okay being like, I'm number six, I'm number seven, I'm number eight, and not be discouraged by that. Um, there's a lot of work that has to be done before you can even have those conversations. But I do think it's a big year for Holgerson too, just because you know when you get that contract and you win ten games, you think things are going to be better. And I'm not sure this is a program that's going to do that every year. Right. But right. only two seasons later, and last year was good enough and exciting enough that you can kind of forgive some things. Um, if this falls flat. I think you have some very interesting conversations in, in bars with chicken wings and about what happens. And if right, it goes yeah. really well, you might have the same conversation. Yeah, look at that. Right. Yeah, we, we we were discussing that earlier. That you know, there's 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 a couple of very divergent paths that this season could take that could somehow end up in the same spot. But I don't want to worry about that. Mm-hmm. I want to enjoy the rest of my spring and summer here um, and mm-hmm. enjoy a season without worrying about another uh, tumultuous offseason with lots of change ahead. <clears throat> um, real quick, there's, I've read what you've written on this, but so there's only – this one is kind of uh, shadowy. So this is more your personal opinion. 
What are they going to do with tight ends this year? Is there going? To, are they going to be used, or is this going to be another offseason where we hear about the red zone is going to look different? They finally have a weapon on the interior, stuff like this, uh, and then you know it's just another air raid offense with some with some tight ends on the roster. These bodies look different, right? Uh, I saw thirty minutes of practice. Oh, so you can tell us everything. Awesome. So, <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> I'm going on. I'm going on like to Baghdad, Bob. Information, yep. right? It's yeah. I, I, Jake Stavidal is great. It's fun to talk to him and to get like X and O's and his his, his stories that he has and his insights that he has. But that guy's never had a bad part of a team run offense. Um, <laughs> right. He's really good yeah. at telling you stuff that looks good in print that people click on and get excited about. So naturally, we're led to the conclusion that hey, they got two really good tight ends and they got two more that are going to come in and be really good in the fall. And hey, why not be able to? You know, do New England Patriots stuff. And, um, I just have no <laughs> idea. Like, Trayvon Wesco has given me two years to kind of uh, indicate who and what he is. Did right. he change it completely in one offseason? Maybe. Um, Haskins has never played college football and has never played tight end, really. He was a high school quarterback. Right. And yep. um, the knock, I guess, on him, the one negative thing here is that, you know, he can turn it on, but. You know, they could be turned off too. That you know, sometimes he pops, and sometimes he gets popped, and sometimes that right. you know he understands things about being in the middle, and sometimes he doesn't. You know, he's not as comfortable on the edge as he is in the slot, but you know, they might need him on the edge. Um, so I don't know. I certainly think they're going to spend a lot of a lot more time, um, and I know their goal is to get to different looks and different packages, and different formations, but run the same plays with the same people, and that might mean keeping both of them on the field a bunch. It might mean keeping one of them on the field a bunch. That's going to be really interesting to me. Um, I think that's the great unknown, and I think they want to keep it that way. I, I'm yeah. telling you, Jeff, nobody was upset in the push car center that the, that the spring game was canceled. Oh, I bet, um, right. <laughs> because they kept that, that shroud a little bit more, and I think that's the one thing that they really want to keep secret. And even if it doesn't turn out to be something, Tennessee's got to be ready for right. different yeah, tight yep. end packages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm sure Pruitt can, can uh, come up with something. Um, so that's a big game. We're actually, we have some folks from the Belk kickoff classic on the show here in a bit to get us caught up on what, what to do in Charlotte and where to get some food after the game, unlike what happened in D.C. But that's a different conversation for a different time. Um, all right, Mike, thanks so much for joining us and uh, looking forward to the season. Anytime, guys. Thank you. All right, that's Mike Casazzo. Let's check him out online. He's everywhere. His work, everyone who's listening, I'm sure, knows it. Thanks again, Mike. Uh, Matt, why don't you take us out, and we will be back with Justice Mosqueda of the Setting the Edge podcast. ESPN 102.3 The Ticket FM. Hi, Coach Bob Huggins here at your local Little General store. As I travel this great state, it's nice to know almost everywhere I go, Little General's there to serve me. From gas to groceries, and let's not forget their delicious New River coffee. Little General stores have taken convenience to a whole new level. Great prices and convenient places say it all. Shop your local Little General store today and tell them Hugs sent you. Yes.
ESPN 102.3, the Ticket FM. You are back with the walkthrough, and so are we. Excited to have Justice Mosqueda here from Setting the Edge Podcast, the Setting the Edge Podcast. Justice, what's going on? Not much. Just got home in Portland. It's a little cold, but that's how it is at this time of the year. Yeah, well, we're cold out here too, so it's all right. Everyone is waiting for for spring to, spring to come can't on with it early enough. Yeah, seriously. Um, Justice, been <laughs> had following to cancel spring games. Yeah, oh yeah, seriously. Did you know that we had to cancel the Mountaineers? We, we didn't cancel. They didn't ask our vote, but the Mountaineers <laughs> had to cancel their spring game. So I don't know if you planned on coming out for it. Um, being in Portland, you probably were going to ride your bike. I heard, don't you guys all ride bikes out there? Isn't that what it is? <laughs> to- yeah, there, there's bikes everywhere. Unfortunately, <laughs> uh, the Ducks have their spring game every year during the draft. Oh, like, no. The, the last day of the draft, they have it. So I've never seen like an Oregon spring game. Oh, huh. that's funny. Well, look, look, you poor planning. Well, you, well, he is, but he is a master <laughs> podcaster for that excellent segue he just threw us, <laughs> threw us there. Um, but before we get into the draft, why don't you real quick let people know where they can find you? Um, like I said, you're on the Setting the Edge podcast. Great stuff there. But, uh, yeah, why don't you fill us in? Yeah, um, go subscribe to Setting the Edge podcast on iTunes right now. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at J-U-M-O-S-Q. I'm doing draft stuff for Bleacher Report the next couple weeks. Um, yeah, just pretty much just follow me on Twitter, and you'll be able to see all of the stuff that I post out and all the crazy things I tweet. So, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. One of the uh, one of the better timelines you got out there, and honestly, one of the, one of the best young football minds. Um, if I ever get awarded a uh, an NFL franchise, you know, sometimes when I'm when I'm starting a Madden franchise or something, I'll come up with like a storyline. One of them is that someone finds out that the league has been hiding concussion data, so the league gets shut down. There needs to be a full new football league started. I get one of the teams, Justice. You would absolutely be on my coaching staff or my player personnel department. I'll let you pick because I know you are a bit of a coach out there. And in, uh, in, in a- <laughs> So anyway, let's get to it. All right, I want to know your thoughts on this quarterback class. This this draft itself is very interesting. It has it, it forces some conversations. You've got you've got quarterbacks all with some special talents, but all with some big holes, and then you've got some polarizing guys, um, and then you've got a running back up top, which people feel strongly about. So lots to talk about. Let's get with the quarterbacks. Um, I want to ask first and foremost about Josh Allen. He is someone who kind of confounds me a little bit. But what is it about why are we this deep in a, in a process that's supposed to identify talented football players? And we've got Josh Allen being called a raw prospect who can be a franchise guy down the line. And Lamar Jackson being called a raw prospect who you just can't trust at the position. Like, is, that, I mean, is it as simple as it looks? Or, or is Josh Allen, you know, is, is there more there than, than the tape shows? Yeah, so I think it's interesting that you said that this quarterback class kind of starts interesting conversations because I would say that this quarterback class does start interesting conversations, but I'm not sure that this class is actually that interesting because these guys <laughs> are basically who they were, you know, last October. Oh, last, yeah, yeah. Sure. Last, you know, the end of last September. Um, we knew who Josh Allen was coming into the year. We knew he was a big upside guy who has never put it together. Uh, we know Lamar Jackson, just as big of a dual threat as you could possibly think he is, but he has that shotgun scan type of uh, setup that leads to like basically a very thin base and then his, his deep passing is erratic because of that but the right. flashes for his deep passing are there you can watch like the Florida State game where he's dropping dimes everywhere um, so I, I think to some extent it is but the NFL honestly just likes really easy evaluations so you have to kind of squint your eyes at Lamar Jackson even the guys who are big Lamar Jackson fans admit one that his base needs to be fixed, right? And that all comes down to footwork. 
the progressions and stuff aren't an issue at all, I, I don't think. Um, he was running an NFL-style passing offense. The issue was it wasn't necessarily like Justice, can you say that again? Can, can you it every single time? Justice, can you say that? Center, he did better than when he was in the gun because he didn't have that, you know, just catch the ball, scan, throw the ball type of, you know, setup for his feet. Um, but in terms of, like, why NFL teams like Josh Allen, it's just big, tall, athletic, big arm. You know what I mean? It's a pretty yep. easy evaluation for sure. uh, if you can sell your coaching staff on it because I think that's really where the, the, the variance on Josh Allen isn't so much that people are sure he's going to be good or sure, sure that he's going to be bad. It's that people see the volatility in him. Um, really, when we've been talking about Josh Allen the past two years, it should be from like a coaching staff perspective, right? Like, can you fix what his issues are? Where it seems like right now people are still battling on who he is, which it doesn't seem like it's really that hard of an evaluation. Yeah, the and I wanted to. <clears throat> I was I jumped in there about the Petrino system. I, I I get so frustrated when I hear people talk about Lamar's college system as if Bobby Petrino isn't running pro concepts. Like they could not be further from the truth. <clears throat> but also about Allen, there's just you just knew you knew at some point in the process, even during the season, it didn't matter what this guy did. At some point, legacy NFL media types you know, the, the Mike Mayox, if you will, we're going to fall in love with him. Like you said, he is, he is perfect for, uh, for, for the NFL, regardless of the fact that he, you know, probably would have been best suited in the seventies. Um, you know, it's just, you, you knew they were going to fall in love with this guy. But to me, the, when it comes to processing information on the field, making plays based on what's around you and making and transcending, um, your environment, there's two guys. It's Lamar Jackson, and then it's a guy I think Matt and I might disagree with, although maybe we don't don't still, but it's, it's Baker Mayfield for me. What is your what is your feelings on Baker? Yeah, those, those are my top two guys. For me, it's Lamar and Baker. Um, I, I wouldn't really argue either way if you wanted to say that that quarterback won just based off of what they've done already. Um, and then Josh, Josh Rosen would probably be my number three. Darnold would be my four. And then after that, you get that tier of like, do you want safe Mason Rudolph or do you want high volatility Josh Allen? Um, but yeah, I'm a big fan of Baker Mayfield. I mean, honestly, like if you just look at it, just look at the stats alone. Okay. <laughs> he had the most he, last year or two years ago, he set the passing efficiency record for major college football. And then he broke it this year. Like he is the most decorated college quarterback in our generation. Yep. And when you look at guys who have, I know a lot of people point at stats and are like, they point to like the Timmy Chang, passing touchdown stats or like the right. air raid stats, right? Yes. And they're like, these don't translate to the next level. But if you look at passing efficiency for at least guys who are playing against power five competition, um, there are guys like Marcus Mariota, Russell Wilson, uh, Robert Griffin third, Cam Newton. They're all guys who are like instant impact guys, you know, the first year, uh, Jameis Winston's uh, freshman season. Those are like the top, those are the top seasons by, you know, power five quarterbacks. And Baker Mayfield has two of those. Those are all guys who are, you know, in the running for rookie of the year, yep. mm-hmm. you know, almost instantly from week one, right? So I think I think Baker's transition to the NFL, even though he's a smart guy and, you know, he played in a really innovative system that, you know, basically created like, I don't want to say training wheels, but he had a lot of talent around him. You know right. what I mean? Yes, um, yes. His for, line for a guy with that going on, I think he's a pretty easy transition to the NFL. My knock on him is I just I don't he showed it at Oklahoma, but I think in the NFL his athleticism's not going to be equivalent to those guys you mentioned who had an instant success. Well, yeah, people st- um, the the immediate 
things you heard all year was Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson. Well, Russell Wilson's about a half second faster. Right. <laughs> you know? I, think, yeah. I think so much of what Mayfield yeah. did was was a product of, of how good of a, a supporting cast he had right. year in, year out. Well, there's guys in this. Uh, it, it, it's not a great draft for wide receivers, <clears throat> and there's a few tight ends um, at the top, although at the top of that position group, although maybe not like the uh, you know no top 10, 15 picks. But at running back, obviously – there are some exciting players. One of them is Saquon Barkley, who's being talked about as a top five pick. Uh, Justice, you are in the presence of two very staunch, no money to running backs uh, team builders here. I think you feel the same way about it, but I'll ask you the question anyway. Is there any any way that a team you run would pick a running back in the top five? In the top five, absolutely not. Absolutely. There's no way. <laughs> right. I mean, if you look at the way that NFL teams value running backs on their second contracts, um, it's very easy to say that, you know, running backs are either the sixth or seventh most important part of the ground game in the guys of the NFL, depending on, you know, if they value running back or tight end more. Um, if you're talking about offensive linemen, like, I, I know people, a lot of people will scoff at the idea of, like, Quentin Nelson going in the top five, but. If you look at what guards are being valued on the open market oh and what centers are being valued on the open market and what running backs are being valued on the open market and compared to the draft, it's completely juxtaposed. And I don't think it's just because, you know, these running backs are younger. We're, we're seeing some running backs who are uh, coming into the draft at 24 years old, right? We're seeing guys yep. who are coming out, in, you know, out of their rookie deals at 24 years old. And those guys who are 24 years old still aren't getting big money on the open market. So... <laughs> I don't know. It's it's really hard to make a judgment to say that running backs have that much influence, you know, on a right. Game. Yeah. The- and uh, one thing that's really weird too, right? And so, running back yards per carry are very volatile from year to year. But when you look at what they do in terms of just positive yards, if you just look at positive yards per carry, it's very steady. So what that'll tell you is that those tackles for a loss, which are making, you know, the biggest differences in yards per carry are actually based off of like who the offensive linemen are year yep. to year rather than who the running back is year to year. Yeah, and something... then, if offensive linemen are influencing yards per carry more than running backs, I think, you know, that goes that goes ahead and tells you how valuable offensive linemen are compared to, you know, just running back. Absolutely. We always say it. It's it's running game, not running back. Obviously, running back, right. you know, you know, you, it matters, but it's your running game. You um, need five yeah. offensive linemen, too. Yeah, so you right. got you yeah. to spend the, your resources. Look, that's the thing there. to me, because the draft, which, by the way, folks, is illegal. Another thing I know Justice agrees with me on. Um, <laughs> the draft should be abolished. But the um, that when you draft a running back, you're locking in a top 10 paid player at that position. The draft is there so that the NFL teams can cost control, so they can get premium players right. at prices well below their market value. It's ridiculous that Josh Rosen or, or Baker Mayfield is going to get paid $8 million to play quarterback next year. That's a $25, $30 million job in 2018, but because of the draft, they're going to be able to pay them $8 million. Um, and at running back, you don't get that benefit. If you draft Saquon Barkley number four overall, it's the same thing as having Le'Veon Bell pretty much on your on your payroll. You know, like mm-hmm. you just don't get the. Uh, especially if you look at uh, people talk about NFL contracts and guaranteed money a lot. Especially if you look at you know, if you look at what you know Leonard Fournette, Zeke, um, Gurley, uh, who's the other guy, McCaffrey. All yeah, those guys right. are you know those. It's basically like them. LaShawn McCoy and Devontae Freeman in terms of guarantees. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's nuts. It's just it does not seem to be a, a way to to spend your resources. I'm speaking this as a Giants fan. Um, 
with the number two pick, still hoping that they uh, they trade down there. Um, so, okay, now your forte, if I may say, you know, you you tell me what your forte is, but from a, from a from a perspective of someone who's followed your work, <clears throat> you know, your force player metric or uh, certification, whatever you call it, your fo- force player designation for pass rushers has algorithm, been, uh, yeah, has been one of the most interesting things that I've seen. Um, you know, there, there a couple guys got some cool way, cool ways of looking at specific positions. Um, Matt Harmon's reception perception comes to mind, for example. But you have your force player for edge rushers, and it's based on the idea that that is a uh, an athletic endeavor, rushing the passer, and athleticism can be measured. Um, why don't you talk to me about this uh, this edge rusher class in the you know in the framework of what it means to be a force player? And if I got that right, let me know. If I didn't, feel free to correct me. <laughs> yeah, you pretty much got it right. It's a combine measurements. They're density adjusted um, for pass rushers. It's a very athleticism heavy position. Uh, really, it's burst off the ball and being able to bend. Those translate very well uh, relative to other positions, right? So, like a ten yard split translates very well to a defensive lineman because he's actually in a three point stance. Um, a three cone actually translates well to a defensive lineman because he's having to make those same type of movements when he's bending the edge against, you know, an offensive tackle. Right. So those things are, those things are, it, it kind of helps you out in the evaluation a little bit. It, it makes sure that the numbers in your eyes really do match up in a way that is meaningful, in a way that it's not meaningful at other positions. Like, I wouldn't necessarily value the combine much for, like, running backs, right? Because you're right. not yep. in a three-point stance. Um, you're not really going full speed at any point. There's a lot of read and react at that position relative to, you know, a defensive lineman who's just trying to get penetration. Um, and what it does is basically over, I have basically uh, over 15 years, I want to say like 17 years now, of a sample of uh, pass rushers in the first through fourth rounds, uh, ignoring the last three rounds because that's just basically noise and it'll just muddy up your data. The draft is only um, four rounds, Justice. I, know I can that. basically tell like a, a risk analysis essentially of like who, who has a good shot of being able to be a quality speed edge guy. Um, there are certainly guys who don't fit that mold who do succeed. A lot of them win in the same ways where it's just basically instead of going around an offensive tackle, they're either strong enough or technically sound enough to cross the face of that offensive tackle. Like, hey, Jadavion Clowning, that was a big one. Um, Jadavion Clowning wasn't the guy who was necessarily a bendy guy. He didn't really show up in the three-cone. But when you watch him on film and you're like, oh, yeah, he's just going to inside swim the hell out of every offensive <laughs> tackle that he's going to see. Right, yeah. um, that translates to the NFL pretty well. In terms of this class, super athletes, it's really just two at the top. It's Harold Landry, the pass rusher out of Boston College. He's very similar to, like, a Vic Beasley, Jerry Hughes. He battled through injuries this year. But if you look at 2016, uh, he was just definitely – he probably could have declared and been a first-round pick last year. I'm right, not really yep. sure uh-huh. why he didn't. Um, but hopefully he ends up not messing up his money this year. We'll see in a couple weeks. And then uh, the other guy is Josh Sweat, who is more of a Danell Hunter type of pass rusher in college. Mm-hmm. In that, like, he wasn't – his eyes weren't on the ball trying to get off the ball and get penetration. His eyes were on the offensive tackle. And that was something that is schemed. It's called uh, tackle reads. Um, so it kind of hurt his ability to make splash plays. But when you look at him athletically – he checks all the boxes. When you look at his production, he actually is able to check out all the boxes. And then when you look at his ability, when he does have his eyes on the ball, you know, he checks off the boxes. The problem is those, those reps are limited relative to everyone else in the class. So Josh Sweat is probably like the high upside guy in this class. Got it. Got it. Justice, do you see any or, or suspect any um, bias or, or skewness going on with, with 
players ending up in certain systems in the NFL? Or do you think do you think your your algorithm works across the board once once they're in the NFL? I think my algorithm works across the board because just because edge rusher, it's not really everything is so nickel based, and you have to send four guys. It's not like you're turning on NFL football and you're seeing only three guys being sent. So when three four teams are going into nickel, um, it's really a four three anyway or Mm -hmm. a four two basically, right? So yeah, other other than I mean, I can't even think of that many schemes where they're dropping outside linebackers when they are in three four base. Like Kansas City does it with Justin Houston. But just as Houston still gets his pass rushing reps, so yeah. I feel like it's a pretty easy transition. Honestly, I, I feel like once you adjust for density, that's the biggest thing in my opinion because you're trying to measure body control right. more yep. than anything else. Once you measure, once you adjust for density, uh, scheme is a pretty easy fit because pass rushers are trying to do the same thing as everyone else in the NFL. They're just trying to get after the quarterback. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, you you talk about body control. I know one one of the things you really love is bend, and you see some of these guys getting around the corner <clears throat> and are able to, to to bend and get low and then get back straight, get to the quarterback. But talking about, you know, the the conversations this draft is forcing you to have, but even at pass rusher, that's an interesting one. You have Harold Landry, <clears throat> who is a force player, but you have the assumed number one pass rusher available in Bradley Chubb. How do you feel about that? Would would does Landry's designation as a force player, like I, I know Josh Sweat, you mentioned him as a force player, but he's not really being looked at as a top 15 guy. Landry still might be. Right. Would you bump someone like Landry over someone like Chubb, or in your case, is it not even a bump, but you just have him ahead of him? But in those cases where you have two players, um, could, is is being a force player really something that would bump one guy ahead of another who's, who, on the surface, you know, longer, more, you know, healthy career, bigger numbers, something like that? I think if the tape matches up with it, right? So, like, right. I would have, I do have uh, Harold Landry head of Chubb, um, but most of that is because I just think he's a better football player. Honestly, it. I think he's right. a better yeah. pass rusher. Um, but I wouldn't have, you know, Josh Sweat ahead of him just because his numbers are there. There are obviously questions with Josh Sweat where I think a guy like Bradley Chubb is super safe um, just because he doesn't pass uh, what the traditional, you know, ten sack guy looks like in the NFL. Um, that doesn't mean that Bradley Chubb can't succeed at the next level. I think he's very comparable to like uh, Derek Barnett last that's year. That's what I was thinking um, of, Derek Barnett. Right, like yep. turning turning edge bender. But I think the issue, uh, the difference between Chubb, not issue, the difference between Chubb and Derek Barnett is that he's more advanced with his hands already, mm-hmm. and he can already cross the offensive tackle face, which is my big holdup on Derek Barnett, which is why I had Derek Barnett as like a fringe first second round type of grade. And why I have Chubb, you know, even though he's second behind Harold Landry as a sturdy first round pick. Got it. Do you overall do you have this as a strong class relative to the uh, to the, to the more recent classes, or are you in line with what people are starting to come up with here that this uh, this one gets pretty shallow pretty quick? Uh, the pass rushing class or the class in general? Uh, overall class in general. Um. Yeah, I, I do think that it gets shallow pretty quick if you're talking about being at the like the second half of the first round, right? Right. Yeah. I think I think those teams are probably going to want to try to trade out if there are quarterbacks left on the board. I think teams are very easily going to be able to trade out, uh, and teams who want to move up for a quarterback are going to easily be able to trade in. Um, but in terms of like, like, there's still quality guys. The problem is the guys who are going to be picked in like the 26 to 28 range are guys who probably would go, you know. 36 right. in another draft class, right. which in the end doesn't really matter that much, right? Uh, yeah. that, which is probably why people are focusing so much on quarterbacks. 
Yeah, and I'm sure you'll see a bunch of these teams trade up to the second half of that first round, get that extra year that a first round contract <clears throat> allows you, as opposed to someone in the top of the second. What what uh what dummy team is going to pick a running back first? It's Cleveland, right? I think I think when you look at it, right, um, Tampa Bay is probably the floor for Saquon Barkley. Oh my gosh! I think when you look eight? at it from just Tampa like Bay's a mock draft perspective from a realistic perspective of like not what you would do, but what you think NFL teams would do based off of how people talk about Saquon Barkley. I would be pretty surprised if, if the bucks passed up on him. So I guess there, there you go. Um, all right, justice. Thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. It's uh, been a goal of mine to get you on the show for a while. Like I said, I've been following your work for years. So it was a thrill to talk to you. Thanks so much for hopping on. Anytime, man. We got to get you out to Morgantown. We got some mountains out here, too. All right. So get you out here to Morgantown for a football <laughs> it's a game. Long all right? flight. Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. You got it. <laughs> It'll be worth it. Yes. Uh, you guys got sponsors over there, right? I think you'll be fine. Um, all right, guys. Uh, thank you so much again, Justice. Good talking to you. Yep. Matt, why don't you take us out of here? We will be back with uh, the Belk College Classic. Can't wait to talk to these folks. ESPN 102.3, the ticket FMs, the walkthrough. Well, the bowler said to the farmer, well, what do you think of that? You've got to have dependability when it comes to your home heat fuel supplier. And R.T. Rogers Oil Company offers just that. Superior local service with a safety-first attitude. R.T. Rogers has routine routes throughout southern West Virginia. R.T. Rogers also has a total home climate service department with highly trained technicians to install and service all heating appliances, heat pumps, and air conditioning. Dependable fuel delivery. Dependable service department. Dependable office staff. For totally dependable home heat service, call R.T. Rogers Oil Company. 304-466-1733. ESPN 102.3, the ticket FM. We are back on the walkthrough. Really fun spring football special so far. Very excited to have Will Webb here, the executive director of Charlotte Sports Foundation. They are hosting the Belt College kickoff game in Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, hosting the Tennessee Volunteers and your West Virginia Mountaineers. Will, what's going on? Uh, we're, we're getting excited about college football. First time these two teams have ever played, and uh, be the third time we've hosted the Mountaineer fans in Charlotte since 2002. So we're looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be it, it's going to be great. There's something I'm getting so excited. You know, Mountaineer fans <clears throat> since the move to the Big 12 have have been yearning for regional college football action because at the heart of it, Will, as I'm sure you know, college football is a regional game. It's a national passion. But the feelings are regional. You know, people are very protective, not only about their own team, but their teams. You provincial. Know. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So to have West Virginia against Tennessee in Charlotte just really does feel like, you know, it's like Appalachian football. And I'm just I, I'm so excited for it. Uh, cannot wait for the game. Uh, and I know you guys are excited as well. Last year, the Mountaineers had a taste of it in D.C. against Virginia Tech. Um a slightly different part of the region, but uh, but part of the Mountaineer homeland, no doubt. And obviously, Virginia Tech, a longtime rival. Um, but I want to have you here. For, for one of the main reasons we reached out to you guys was because of what happened last year in D.C. Now, it was a wonderful game. Have oh, wonderful we have hosts. to talk about what happened we in do. D.C. We do have to talk about what happened in D.C. <sighs> um, so, Will, the first thing that sticks to mind for me about D.C. was getting to and from the game. Getting to the game was okay. 
Getting from the game was an absolute disaster. Mountaineer fans stuck at the stadium to what? One o'clock, Matt? Right? Uber, Something like that. Uber Getting price. to the game, I don't remember to be all that great. <laughs> it wasn't great. No, it wasn't. Get out of her car so what's the, tell, Paint the picture for me. In, in terms of Charlotte, I'm closing my eyes now, picturing the beautiful city of Charlotte. Where is the stadium in terms of downtown, and, and what's it going to be like getting to and getting from that uh, this beautiful stadium? It's, it's going to be very easy. Oh, good start. On the edge of downtown, it's within walking distance of about 3,000 hotel rooms. Uh, it's four blocks, I think, off the interstate that goes right up to Morgantown. Uh, we've had two, two times West Virginia's been here and sold it out both times. Um, fans can come. They can park their cars. Uh, they can spend the night if they come down the night before. There's going to be some uh, fun events going on that we'll be announcing soon. And they'll be able to walk to the game from their hotel room. Oh, that is. And if they really are a little bit more budget conscious, they can get a hotel room up at the north side of town or the south side of town. And we have a new light rail that's two dollars to ride from uh, from about ten miles each way and gets you right into uh, two blocks from the stadium. Oh my gosh! So you guys are ready. Easy access and uh, tremendous, tremendous access for the fans. It sounds like getting there's a breeze. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Now we're going to be spending some time in Charlotte. We did. We got a. Uh, we got a real nice deal on a hotel room, a suite. We got six of us going to doing some uh, some high living. Cannot wait. Um, now you said it was the day before, so that would be what's that? The game is the first, right? Saturday the first. So we're talking mm-hmm. August thirty first. You you guys have some stuff cooking for uh, some we- fan events or something. We, we've got a big concert getting ready to, that we'll be announcing hopefully in the next week or so, oh, the night man. before the game. And there are 200 uh, bars and restaurants within uh, six blocks of the um, uh, main hotel. 200, wow. 200 bars. That's just about enough. Well, the hotels. So two, yeah. <laughs> once they come down, no, no problems with access, no problems getting around. And they'll have a lot of fun. They can walk. They can, they can walk safely and, and have a, a few adult beverages and have a good time. Oh, my gosh. We're bringing a lot of adults, so that's good. And I th- I'm very excited about this concert. I can't. The, this will be my first time to Charlotte. We had a trip, Matt and I, and about six other people had a trip planned to Charlotte a few years ago. We were going to go down to something called Tuck Fest at the, uh, mm-hmm. at the, the Whitewater uh, Center. Yep. Uh, and unfortunately, that got rained out. So, hey, another chance to see a concert in Charlotte. All right. Can, cannot wait. wait. Do you have a? Sure. Uh, are you? Are, sure. I, I, very I know, unique, and it, it, it's one of very few bowl cities where, where teams can actually walk to the game from their hotels. Oh, oh man, what a scene that would be! Um, now I, I know you're you're here in, offici- uh, in an official capacity, so I don't know how much you can speak on this, Will. But where do we go for barbecue? Uh, there are lots of barbecue options around Charlotte. There are some downtown. Uh, there's uh, Midwood Smokehouse is one of my favorites. It's about a five to eight minute drive from the center city. Uh, you've got Bubba's Barbecue up at uh, about uh, 15 minute drive from the city. Uh, and there's some, even some new barbecue joints opening downtown. So, so it's, it sounds like we will not be left wanting, huh? Great dining and, and folks will have a lot of fun. Awesome. Will we be able to eat after the game? Because that was the other disaster. Not only did it take us to one o'clock to get away from the stadium in DC, but once you got back to your hotel or into town, you would find that everything was closed. Are we going to be able to eat after the game? Oh, absolutely. 
Uh, downtown Charlotte is hot until about 2 a.m. Um, and even if the game is late, which I don't anticipate, we're, we're thinking kickoff's going to be about 3.30. But even if it's later than that, oh, okay, there we go. we still have uh, at least 200 places to choose from. Oh, my gosh. That is, that is awesome. All right. So you're talking uh, the gut feeling is a 3.30 kickoff or later. Uh, is it safe to rule out nothing nothing sooner than that or, or are you just t- too early to tell? You know, I don't forecast hurricanes, the stock market, or football. <laughs> Perfect. The TV folks announce it. Yes. Um, we're hoping 3.30, but it could be a couple hours either side of that. Got it. Oh, my gosh. 3.30 would be wonderful. I can't imagine what that would look like around 6.30 or so when that sun starts to go down. That would be awesome. All right. I can okay. at least hear it. I, can, I can't see it, but right. I can hear Country Roads. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Song. Absolutely. Cannot wait to sing with everybody. Well, so um, what's the ticket situation here? Where are people going for tickets? I know each school got a certain allotment, um, but where is uh, yeah? Where are people headed? Well, first go to the Mountaineer Ticket Office because they've got a whole lot of tickets. And yep. they're, they're, they came back and got more than they were. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. I'll like tell you, uh, we are excited we for this game. We're going on sale until after the school sale. We're going on sale in June. Uh, Ticketmaster.com is probably the best way to go get tickets in June. Awesome, awesome. All right, and you guys are going to do, uh, is, is there a package coming out that you're doing with the bowl game too or something like that? There is a two-pack that will be rolled out uh, in a few weeks that gives people the same seats for, similar seats for the bowl game and the kickoff game. And after that expires, around June 1, we will come out with single-game tickets. That is awesome. Um, dude, Matt, I'm getting excited. I know you're getting excited. I'm, I'm already envisioning yeah. all these different things well, that are going to happen. And Trump's excited because Will Greer is from Davidson, which is – Oh, I know. Oh, I know so you guys are ready. going to be turning out to watch Will and that, that great offense y'all got. Yeah, it's going to be great. We're taking we're, – we're doing about five days. We're, we're leaving from Philly. We're going to get on the Blue Ridge Parkway. As soon as we can, take that pretty much all the way down again as far as we can, and then stay in Nantahala National Park for a little bit before we head north uh, to Charlotte. So it's going to be a great, um, a great trip for us, and cannot wait. Will, thank you so much for coming on. What do you say we have you back on around mid-August once everything really starts to kick off, so we can get all these updates and uh, really start to talk some football. No problem. We'll look forward to it. All right, awesome. Thank you so much, everyone. That was Will Webb of the uh, Charlotte Sports Foundation again. They're hosting the Belk College Football Kickoff in Charlotte, and cannot wait. Will, thank you so much. Matt, we'll be back to wrap things up after this. Yes, we will. All right, ESPN 102.3, the Ticket FM. This is the walkthrough. Summers County ARH's emergency department is now a level four trauma center. In an emergency, you need highly skilled professionals taking care of you. Summers County ARH has a physician on duty 24-7, 365. Plus, short wait times and a kind and compassionate staff. When life throws you a curve and you need medical help quickly, think Summers County ARH, now a level four designated trauma center. Quality care, close to home. ESPN 102.3, the Ticket FM. Back to wrap things up with the walkthrough spring football special. Thanks to everyone for hanging out with us. We will be back, what do you think, early August, Matt? Is that the only when we do it? Yeah, second week of August, I All believe. right, cool. Yeah, so we'll be back to uh, <clears throat> carry you through till uh, about February or so of 2019. 
time goes fast. That was a fun one. Thanks to Mike Casaza. Thanks to Justice Mosqueda. Thanks to Will Webb. Um, it's cool finally getting to talk to Justice Mosqueda. I mean, we've been following him for years, yes. all his, his, his edge analytics. Yeah, I wasn't kidding. I've been trying to get him on for a while. So big thanks to him for making time and giving us such a long segment. All right, so yeah, thanks to all those people. Thanks to everyone who listened. ESPN 102.3, The Ticket FM. We will be back in August. This was the walkthrough spring football special. <laughs>